welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. It's fun. I'm going to set a timer, because I know that I only have 55 minutes to preach to you. <laughs> the joke goes. Oh, thanks. It's good. No, um... Well, you, you heard the passage read uh, this morning, and I, I want to uh, begin the sermon by going back to verses 7 and 8, where I'm going to be focusing my, my attention, and um, um, and then I'll, I'll dive into the, the meat of the sermon. I should get my notes open as well. But uh, if you're already there, that's great. If you're not there, you might want to put your, your thumb in that passage. Um, pretty straightforward for us. So um, verse 7 and 8, we hear, the one who conquers will have this heritage. And the heritage is this the state of the new heavens, new earth, what we're all aiming for, what we're looking forward to. Right? All things are, are made right. All the wrongs have, have been taken care of. There's no more tears. There's no more suffering, no more difficulties that way. We, we're dwelling with the Lord without the hindrance of our sin. A glorious thing that we're all pushing towards. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. So we have to conquer in some sense. Now will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, our sermon title this morning is The Call to Christian Courage, or A Call. There are many ways that we can be called to this, and I, I, I want to use this passage um, as an illustration of, of what Christian courage consists of. We're going to wander around to some uh, different ideas behind this, but the thing that I want you to be arrested by or gripped by in this passage is quite striking, is that that list of, of practices, um, call them vices perhaps, things that land you in the lake of fire. Um, you know, we know, we know how to populate that list generally. We think about the sexually immoral, think about liars, and on down the list. But the first item, and it doesn't mean it's of first importance, but the first item is kind of a surprise to us if we think about it. As the cowards inherit the lake of fire. Right? Cowardice is not an option, in other words, in the Christian life. And that is actually very challenging for us. And I, I want to challenge you on it. If, if the best thing that you got out of the sermon by the end is just to hear God's word, that's not just enough, that's more than enough. That's rich, it's powerful. That does the work. My words do, like, supporting role, pointing out the word, but... The word itself is the one that does the work by God's spirit. And you are called to courage. You're called to be those who are conquerors. We have to remember that we live in an age right now of cowardice, um, sometimes indifference, which is a form of cowardice, or compromise on biblical truth. May that not be named among you. I know your pastor quite well. I know he desires that of you. He shepherds you accordingly. And that doesn't mean that you have to be joyless, and a curmudgeon about the truth of God's word and what God requires of us. 
Because you can be joyful and courageous, and that's better than being joyless, right? We have to be joyful, but you are called to be courageous, and that's hard. It's increasingly hard in the times that we live in. We face this down at the Capitol. We face this nationally in the public square in many ways, but we face it personally too, and I want to touch on those things so we don't, we don't miss out on where God is calling us to be courageous. But uh, lest we get away from the text and forget the context here, you, you know this is written to historical churches in Asia Minor. Um, all that's preceded, which <laughs> would take a lot of time to unpack, right? All that's preceded is a warning to them about things that shortly must happen. And how we understand that, you could be of differing um, opinions and perspectives perhaps. But these are written as churches so they might grow wise and know how to honor the Son and walk in the gospel and live courageously in the midst of real adversity that God is sovereign over, and yet Satan is manufacturing and pushing out. And, and um, depending on how you, you read the chapters that lead up to this and understand it historically and how it applies to us today, regardless, consensus across all the different ways that you can take that is that we are to be instructed to live in such a way that we're courageous when we face adversity. We're not supposed to fail in the day of adversity or trial or difficulty. We're not to lose our first love Remember Jesus above all things. And so these churches are being tested, and so too you are being tested in the times in which we live. And this is not outside of God's control. What are we going to do? We're not just going to persevere, which we must, not just endure, but we're called to be conquerors. And there's a way to be chest-thumping about that and proud, and we want nothing to do with that. right? We want a holy, humble boldness from God's word so that we go out and we live as conquerors, because this is what God is calling us to. God cannot lie. God is not manufacturing a nice little story, a fairy tale, maybe it'll come true or what have you. No, this is as certain as the grave is empty. Jesus is raised from the dead, and this is the trajectory that we are on. But we have this time now in our lives, in our age. We're in Western history, living here in the West. It seems like the death of the West is upon us. Right? It's frightening at times. What are we to do? Cower? No. It's courage. Christian courage. It's always Christian courage. It's more than just that. Don't think it's all reducible to that. But it's something that we are missing. And so I want to convey that to you. And it's on every page of Revelation. It's, in fact, on every page, arguably, of Scripture that we're called to courage. And we'll think about what that is, illustrated a little bit. Um, but it is greatly needed for our witness and our work. I had a, um, uh, uh, a time with, um, with some of our uh, political leaders not so uh, long ago, just maybe a month and a half ago or so, and uh, we were talking about, just to illustrate the need here, talking about what has happened after the Dobbs decision. Not that the entire world turns around the abortion debate, but it's a pretty important one, right, in our country and in our civilization. And um, these political operatives... Good men, thoughtful men, more shrewd than me as far as tactically how you can maneuver in the political realm. Um, But they were cowering. They were afraid. They need to be reminded and encouraged that God calls us to courage in hard times and God does amazing things through them. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, great men and women, which I think we all aspire to be, right? in godly humility we should aspire for great things for the Lord. Not for our own name, but for his name. And great men and women in the scriptures always know great challenges which are overcome by God's great grace. So do you want to be great in the kingdom? Do you want to be mighty? Do you want to do something for God's glory? 
You're going to know how to suffer. You're going to know what it's like to be persecuted. You're going to need courage, in other words. And just mentioning this to these, these men gave them a little life back, a little spring in their step. We need to encourage each other in these things so that we can be encouraged. So I hope that all happens for you from God's word here this morning. And um, I just have a, a couple areas that I want to to go into. First of all, we really need to define a little bit more what courage is, illustrate it a little bit. Um, so we'll do that here in a moment. Um, let's think about where courage is required in life. And, and there's something really, I think, something that we miss here, because we think about the great acts that are out there you could do courageously, going over the top, right, in World War One, and uh, metaphorically speaking, and running out in no man's land. Uh, but there's actually... There, there are lesser things, well, lesser, less um, flamboyant things, but things that are absolutely essential that we oftentimes play the coward in that we need to address. We need to think about the effects of courage. What does it do? And then how to get more of it. Right? So we're going to delve into this a bit and hop, skip, and jump a little bit through the scriptures. Um, but I, I trust that um, uh, you'll be able to keep up here. So let's think about defining this and illustrating it for a moment. Courage in Revelation... And throughout the scriptures, when when people are called to courage, we could say Joshua, right, to be strong and courageous and so forth. It's always in the face of danger. There's always a threat that's there. Um, there are fears. There are unknowns. Uh, I remember I was driving up. Um, my wife and I, we were in New Hampshire a year and a half ago, two years ago, actually. And uh, in the fall, highly recommend that. It's an amazing, beautiful state. And uh, we drove up Mount Washington. And uh, I don't know if anybody's been to Mount Washington, but it's a fascinating place. We rolled up. I was in a T-shirt and shorts, and they said, oh, it's snowing up top. You're, you're going to be really cold. And I told my mom well, from Minnesota, and they said, oh, you'll be fine. So we drove up. Um, but driving up Mount Washington, you, you can't see where the cliffs are, and you just have this road that's winding, and, and it's, it seems perilous. Like there are unknowns. If I go off the road, are we going to plunge to our death? And I'm, I'm a pretty level like emotionally a level person, but I, I was really nervous driving up this, like, you know, praying and just, you know, I know other people can make it. I've got to summon up some courage to go forward in this. And we get to the top and we walk around and it is snowing and blowing up there. It's quite cold. We, and we came back down and coming down, now I could see the slope of the road and it wasn't as bad as what I thought. Um, but going up, it was really nerve-wracking. Going, going down was much easier. Now doing it again, having seen what I was up against, I wouldn't be quite as nervous, although I'd still be careful going up the road. And courage was needed for something that just appeared to be difficult. I did get to the top. It wasn't actually that difficult. Sometimes we need courage in those instances, and other times it's a real threat. The, it's not just a, an unknown. Uh, Joe Rigney, uh, some of you know Joe, he's a, a good friend. He wrote a book on courage, and he, he mentioned that nobody thinks somebody is courageous when they're walking along a cliff, but they don't realize it. There's a mist or something. They're just out, you know, going for a nice little hike. But you take away the mist, and they see that it's a thousand foot drop to the side. That requires courage. So sometimes you don't know you're in danger, and that doesn't really require a whole lot, but it's the threat of danger or the reality of danger or the unknown that, that gets us, it stirs up fear, and, and that brings up some pretty primal questions for us. Right? For instance, what is the good of what I'm doing with the danger that's here? Right? What is the good that's here? And for me, going up Mount Washington was, well, I want to enjoy New Hampshire and spend time with my wife, but if 
if that was not a high enough good to get up the mountain, we would have turned back and, and gone down. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that God has for us as we go forward? And Revelation 21 is an answer to that. Right? We are going to something in this life if we're following Christ. And it is glorious. And the cowards are excluded from it. So of all the things that we could fear, right, we should fear God, <laughs> which is a healthy kind of fear. Right? That motivates you. And that puts other fears in perspective. It puts all of the troubles that you see in Revelation in perspective, which is why they have to be conquerors and not cowards. They've got to persist. They have to endure to the very end. And so you have to think about this frequently, and, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag where I'm going with this, with some of the ins and outs, but what is the good that you are pressing towards, and is it actually worth the thing that you're doing? And, and oftentimes in the Christian life, we just don't pause to think about this, um, and we have to. Right? Courage is required when there's greater good, but there's dangers when there's fears. And then to illustrate this and define a little bit further, courage becomes a habit that develops over time, or it atrophies over time. If you'll play the part of the coward on a small thing, you'll find that you just keep slipping and slipping and slipping, and you're easy to push over, versus you start with a small thing in front of you, be courageous, think about what the good that God has set before you, and you press into it, and you pursue it, even though it frightens you, even though you find that you have limits, which is actually a good thing. Right? God is God, and you are not. We are not sufficient in ourselves to handle all things. You, when you find your limits in life and you realize that God calls you to more than what you can provide, praise God. Right? Because God says, trust me, right? ask me, and I'll give these things to you. Don't you think my grace will overflow to you and my son? And, and they do. And when you find that and you have to press in there, that's a good thing. But what you don't want to be is self-assured. And so in a strange kind of way, this call to courage actually it benefits you to be confronting things you're afraid of or the unknowns that are there because you realize it's not enough in and of yourself to live this way. You, you have to have the Lord on your side or it's going nowhere. And you develop. You, you're strengthened over time. Or, again, you can atrophy. And, and your perspective in this really does matter. So imagine the spies, right? They go into the land. Moses sends them off and they come back from, from Canaan and they... And uh, you get two positive reports, like, oh, it's a great land. I can't believe God's giving this to us. Let's go and take it. And God has given the land to Israel, right? But they've got to actually show courage to get in and take the promise. It's already theirs, and God calls them to take it. And courage is what's necessary. And two of them see it, and they're just they're ready to go, right? And the others are cowards, same reality, seeing the same land with the same promises, and one doesn't set the greater good in front of them, does not remind themselves that this is what God wants of us. He's going to grow us. He's, he's the one who's going to be sufficient. It's not about us and our own strength. If God says it's ours, it's ours. We believe it, hands down. All right. Same situation, totally different outcomes that are there. And uh, fortunately, Israel is punished because of that. And then as Joshua goes in the land, they're reminded to be strong and courageous. Uh, as they go forward. So you can either atrophy or atrophy or you can develop in it. So let's think about where courage is required in life. And this is where I think maybe, hopefully, I'm going to tag you and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a little bit. This is good for you, right? Where is courage required in life for all of us? Courage is required before God with your sin. This is hard, right? You've got to pursue the Lord knowing that you are sinful, knowing that you are needy, 
knowing that it's going to cost you something at times. People are going to find out. You're going to have to ask forgiveness from other people. Right? You're going to have to deal with your sin, and it's embarrassing. And God says, be bold and be courageous. He doesn't actually say that distinctly with regard to your sin, but that's the, that's the thrust of the Psalms. That's the thrust of the way that we're supposed to pray before the Lord. We go boldly before the throne, and we ask, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. And yet you command me to come. And so I come and I say, in all humility, take it from me. How dare we command God? And yet God requires it of us. He says, go ahead, ask me. Just ask. And it's done. We've got to be bold with that. We've got to be bold with dealing with our sin on a daily basis. Sometimes it seems minute to minute. Right? We can't play the coward. We have to grow strong and courageous in the Lord where we face who we truly are. We look into the word. We let it, it reflect back to us our, our true state. And we say, this is not right. Lord, you need to do something with this. Does it ever strike you how bold the Psalms are? David, like commanding God of different things. Like here's a Psalm of Moses. Let me go back to this just as an example. And this is hard for me to get through without choking up. Again, I'm not a softy, but this, is, this does get me. So we'll see if I can do it. Um, so Psalm 91, um, uh, or Psalm, I'm sorry, um, Psalm 90, not 91. Uh, Psalm of Moses, and the first 11 verses are all about the difficulty of life. It's kind of like Ecclesiastes, right? Um, the years of our life are 70, even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? There's some danger, right? There's some courage that's going to be needed in the face of apparently a meaningless life and a God who is um, uh, who is angry and powerful and full of wrath and teaches fear and is going to is going to take the life of every single person that lives. Now, that's kind of a frightening position to, to be in. And what does Moses do? How does he pray in the second half of this? Like, we just gloss over this. Imagine the courage that's needed to pray this way. So, given all these things, how vaporous our life is, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Okay? What's the content of the teaching? I think the, the verses following are that. We could talk about some other time if we want. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants, And here he commands God in prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Really? You think you can say that to God? Like, tell God that he needs to satisfy you? Yeah, God wants that. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses has seen a lot of evil in his time. And he dares to pray to God, I, I want you to show me good for just as many days of you as affliction and evil that I've seen. Can you imagine if we prayed and expected this in the church with regard to the evil times that we're in right now? Oh Lord, will you not answer our prayers? Right. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I've shared this psalm with... Um, uh, dozens of legislators in this last year who are weary, just weepy over the work, at the, actually the horrible things that have happened in our state. I know some of you have tracked a lot of that, uh, maybe even more than what I have. It is um, astounding, the evil that has been done. And what should we do? Wring our hands and go cower in a corner? Or will we pray like Moses here? Right? <laughs> Teach us to number our days that we may get a part of wisdom. And one of that is make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. 
It's a bold prayer. Right? Not bold, again, the chest-thumping, proud kind of thing. It's actually in all humility. God wants to hear from you like this in your prayers and in your life, contending with your sin. Oh, Lord, how long do I have to deal with this besetting sin? Will you not sanctify me? I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you hear from me, or to, until I hear from you. Right? I might take my entire life wrestling over this. I will not stop contending right? because you have commanded me to pursue you. Do we pray that way? Do we think that way? That's the kind of courage that we need in our prayer life and dealing with our own sin. Uh, oftentimes we're cowards as well, honestly, right? We offend one another, we sin against each other, and we are too cowardly to go and ask for forgiveness from somebody else. May they not be named among you. Right? <laughs> what are they going to think about me? It's going to ruin my reputation. I got all these things. Ditch all that. Those are the fears that you're supposed to conquer with courage, Christian courage. Right? That flows out of love for the Lord, love for his word, believing every jot and tittle of his word and saying, he's true, he's commanded, he wants me to believe, I'm supposed to expect and fill in the blank, and therefore I'm going to go and do this. It's that kind of Christian courage and just living the basics of Christian life, that if you exercise that muscle, so to speak, it makes you very strong for the bigger cultural things. And if you won't exercise it with the small things, then there's no way you're going to be able to be strong enough to push off the greater things that are out there. We all face danger. We all face threats. We all face fear with our sin. And we're called to courage to deal with it. And what God does, right? we know this. We know this, brothers and sisters. What God does is when we confess our sin, when we go boldly before the throne of grace, God answers and he builds us up and he gives us better things than we could have ever imagined. So, And then we, we think to ourselves, what took me so long? Why? And, um, well, we were cowards. And God's called us to courage, make us conquerors. This is true not just in our own individual lives. This is true in family life. Uh, parents, you're, um, we're not perfect with our kids. We know that. Um, and all of us stand individually before the, the judgment seat. Um, and yet parents are called to, to lead. And children, you're called to follow. And in family life, we can teach cower, cowardice or courage in the way that we trust God for everything. In our trials, in our difficulties, in the mundane things of life and the difficult things in life. I think all of us want to die a good death, right? To confess the faith at the end, to encourage those who are around. You think of the best kind of scenario, you're in your deathbed and, and you're exhorting the next generation to keep up the good fight. And so we want that. Well, you don't get there with that unless you take steps along the way, right? You're courageously living, you're leading in such a way that you trust God for the future, for your fortune, right? for your money, for the fate of your life, you're going to trust him from the very beginning to the very end. We have some people in, um, at work and then some people in our church, um, differing families, but who are right now facing, um, in worldly sense, uh, death by cancer. Um, it's terminal. There's two different families, two different moms, young moms, right? one, one at work and one in the family. And it's a beautiful thing to watch them Trust the Lord in the midst of the cancer. Trust the Lord that he is going to provide for the family. If he takes me, he is still going to be good to my children. He is still going to be good to my husband, though this is hard. And every day they have to wake up and remind themselves and not just have wishful thinking, but actually return to the scriptures and see that God loves to take care of those who are in distress, especially when they call out in their hardship. And they say, I have, no, I have nowhere I can go except to you. Right? You have to be my portion. And he is. 
And we see this, right? When people, it's amazing the grace, like you, you hurt for people who are going through hardships like that, and yet they seem like just overflowing with grace. And what's with that? It's what God does. He gives grace to those who call upon him. He's, he's kind to them. And so and it's a lesson to us, like, why are we so cowardly? Like, they're living a life of joy in the, midst, in the midst of suffering. I should be able to go out and fill in the blank, live courageously and tackle the sin, tackle the issue that God has in front of me. Right? But we, we model this in family life. Parents, you, you need to show courage because your children are going to take up the mantle after you leave, and you want them taking up the courageous one, the conquering one, not the cowardly one. This is all required right now, too, and this is probably where you thought it was only going, well, maybe only go, but this is absolutely required in our cultural madness right now. And it's not enough. In fact, it doesn't really matter. Like the mission of Minnesota Family Council to defend life and religious liberties and, and marriage and God's design for sexuality, all those things. Like our, our nice organization is not a replacement for the church. It's an organization made up of Christians who are part of churches, but Minnesota Family Council is not an eternal institution. Right? God doesn't need MFC. He uses it. Praise God. I'm, I'm glad to be in it. I'm glad to be a part of that. Um, but he has established the church for all time. Right? He has established his people to be his witnesses, to be the salt and light that is necessary in our culture. It's not going to come through legislation. I know, shock to you, right? Hearts don't get changed by legislation. Hearts actually can be directed towards what's good or what's wrong. His law is a moral teacher. Right? There, there's an instruction element to that. But God has not given the change of heart to the ministry of the state. He's given the change of heart to the ministry of the church. And so everybody who wants to run around and say, oh, we just need to solve things politically, um, there are things that need to be solved politically. Again, it's kind of part of what we do. It's great. Hearts and minds are changed by the church, and more specifically by the gospel, by the ministry of the gospel, by the living out of the gospel, by the proclaiming of the gospel, believing it boldly, courageously, and living that way. The world will not get off its, its crazy train wherever it's going, multiple different places, unless we are courageous in the gospel to live it and speak it and not back down. Again, like fighting, metaphorically speaking, doesn't have to be an angry exchange. You can be courageous in loving people who are enemies of God. That's hard to do. You're afraid. God's not called us to fear of man. Right? Fear him. Be courageous. Ask what, such were some of us. God will save people. He's in the business of doing it. Why, why are we so timid in pretending otherwise? So our cultural madness, courage is required there. You're going to have to confront. You're going to have to teach. You're going to have to show. You're going to have to promote. You're going to have to defend and challenge and suffer and persist and endure and defy by Christian courage. All these things. What are the effects of courage? Well, Again, we're wandering a little way from Revelation 21, but I think this is all kind of inherent in, in this, this idea that the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he'll be my son. Like this, this end state that we're going towards, what God desires of us. Right? What are the effects of people who live this way, know that they're on the way, right? that that's the heritage that God has for them? Well, first of all, it conquers threats and fears. You don't have to live in a frightened way or a threatened way when you live courageously, you, you end up discovering that you can get past the fear. It no longer cripples you. Um, I bring, <laughs> and Pastor Levi is not a coward by any stretch. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I bring him down to the Capitol first time. I'm like, hey, this is, and I kind of, you should ask him, he'll tell the story, but I kind of tricked him a little bit with coffee and got him to come to the Capitol. And, uh, and knowing that he was a bold, uh, godly man. And uh, showed him just how accessible all of our elected officials are and how ministers of the gospel can waltz right into the office, open this very dangerous book, read it, right? Pray for them, and then watch watch them not know what just happened to them. You just sowed the word of God, the eternal word of God, into their lives, and now it's doing whatever God wants to do with it. Like, it's beyond my pay grade. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's all right. I'm just here supporting cast. Sometimes it's comic relief, right, to give the word away. And... Uh, and I remember Levi like, wait, this is we can do this? Not that he was intimidated to start with, but there's a little bit of like, oh, how do you do the dance? Like working with people who are in office, aren't they kind of powerful and so on? It's just the appearance of something that's a threat or dangerous. It's actually quite easy. You'll find the same thing with coworkers. You'll find the same thing um, with with people that you're, you know, could be your neighbors, could be extended family members, what have you. That um, you can actually conquer your fear. Or the threat of, oh, they're not going to like me or whatever. If you just face it and you do what God asks you to do. And you realize, oh, that worked out better than I thought. Yeah, because God's in it. It's never about you. It's about what God wants. It conquers our fears. conquers our threats. Um, same thing is true. I, I think there's a, a something in the church. I don't, I don't know if, why we're afraid um, or we just don't know how to do it, and so we feel intimidated that way. But um, ministry to those who are struggling with um, gender identity stuff, people who are struggling with unwanted se- sexual attraction, um, same-sex attraction, and so forth. God's word's powerful. If you've never met somebody who's who's got those kinds of struggles, those kinds of sins, and so forth, um, um, it's easy to think, well, I don't, I don't know. There's, they're just unreachable. And um, I've had, I've gotten over that. I'm not perfect, but I've, I've gotten over that and feel like I can lean in. And I don't have all the answers, but I know God does, right, and care for people. And it just takes the threat away. Like, oh, people who need the Lord. <laughs> you got an identity issue? I got an identity issue. It's the identity of the old man I want to go back to rather than the new man that Jesus made. And, and, and there's a similarity there. Like, you're struggling. Yeah, I don't know my place in the world. I am very uncomfortable in the old man. It can make me crazy in lots of different ways. And I have to remind myself every morning and every lunchtime and every, every bedtime that I belong to Jesus and I've got a new identity in Christ. You just get over, you get over the difficulty, right? Pursue God's word and, and speak it and God makes you bold and you're able to not be threatened and fearful and you conquer. So courage conquers. Courage inspires others to do the same too. Um, going back to the political operatives I was mentioning, I'm not trying to shame them. Um, in this, it's just honest questions, difficult times. You know, saw the elections last week, even more difficult times. It seemed like the world is melting down. Um, when people are courageous, and I don't mean machismo, kind of courageous, right? Because there's a kind of a, a dumb form of courage that's not actually courage, because you need to be shrewd and wise and, uh, you know, all these things. That's part of courage, too. It's just the person who paints their face blue and runs out on the battlefield, shoot me, right? Kind of thing. And you Get back here, Levi. No, it's not Levi. No. Um, get back here. Come on. That's not. That's not actually being bold and courageous. That's just dumb. Um, but when people are truly courageous, when they're willing to sacrifice for the greater good that God has established, right, you're willing to, as a father, you're willing to selflessly lead your family, give up your own selfish ambitions, 
right? To be selfless. And, and whatever that looks like, because it looks like a lot of different things in our, in our families, but we all know the wonderful stories of people who their kids never went to college, or they never went to college, and blue collar, and pull themselves up by their bootstrap, and, you know, work really hard and sacrifice for their family, and then they go to college and somebody becomes an astronaut, you know, the American dream kind of thing. It's way better than the Christian faith. That's nice, the American dream thing. It's way better than the Christian faith. Mom and dad humbled themselves before the living God continually. They contended with their sin. Right? They taught us who Jesus was and is and shall be. Right? And thousands of generations, if the Lord tarries beyond us, will call my parents blessed because they have taught this thing to me, taught me the, the good news and the word and the value of following the Lord and what a sweet thing it is and how we don't have to live hopelessly. And that kind of inheritance you can give on to your kids, that inspires people. Right? That encourages people. And the same thing is true. Going back to, I got a little off track here. Going back to the political operatives. Like, look, if you guys have courageous leaders, like principled, courageous leaders, people will follow that. Yeah, the world will shoot arrows. That happens. There is no consensus when we're dealing with the, the, you know, the way of the world and the way of Christ. There is only enmity between the two. There's not a, a, a nice, happy truce between the two. It's as old as the garden. Right? The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman are at war with each other. It's not going to stop until Christ returns in final victory. That's our lot right now. Right? Let's not pretend like we can just play nice. There's a battle, and we have to show up to it. And when somebody shows up with Christian courage, people follow. Like, oh, praise God. How many leaders do you know out there, right? This can be true of your pastor. It can be true of others. Like When they take a bold stand on something that's wise, again, not the foolish thing, other people fall in the line. It's like we grow up, we get a spine, and we're encouraged. Right? That's one of the effects of courage. We, we grow, we inspire others. It rallies believers together to work together for things. So um, any of you know about Together for Good? They had their annual gala last night. They do, yeah, Together for Good's a great ministry here, um, dealing with preventative foster care. And Maridel Sandberg, um, the gal who started that, um, She's just being courageous, trying to lean into a very difficult area, and it rallies people. And believers work together, and churches work together. Courage is a great thing, right? Don't discount the fruit that grows on that. We, we want this. Finally, it glorifies God, and it's used by him to fulfill his promises to us. Go back to Revelation 21, 8, right? 7 and 8. So how do we get more? And we'll wrap up with this. How do we get more courage in our, our lives? Well, one is just hearing this word, right? The that God calls us to conquer. He calls us to be courageous. He's not calling us to be cowardly or faithless or on down the list. This is what God's called us to. And if God's called us to it, he will deliver it to us in his son if we ask him for it. Right? We have to know that God is with us. Joshua 1, right? Remember how um, I'm with you. Right? Be strong and courageous. Right? I'm going with you. This is a, a nice little echo of the incarnation before the incarnation. It's not just God saying to Joshua, hey, I'll be with you wherever you go, wherever your, your feet tread, and where, whenever you encounter enemies. We have something way better. I mean, that's a good promise in the Old Testament, and it's true, and it's right. Jesus is with us, and the Spirit, right? His Spirit is with us, and his word is given to us, and his promises, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. We live on this side of the cross, everybody. That's a good time. <laughs> it's don't forget the big story that's actually being told right now. And it's not just 
perhaps the demise of Western civilization, the destruction of our country, right? Throwing off all, um, all, um, all manner of, um, as the ungodly say in Psalm 2, like the chains, right? All the things that would bind us, let's just throw them all off. We have to remember that, that God is actually with us and he intends to have the whole earth filled up with his glory. He can't stop that. God's going to have his way. So we actually live in accordance with that. Up to God, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. Um, you might not see it yourself in the fullness that you desire. That's okay. God's in the business of actually redeeming this place. That's why he sent his son, and he's with us. Live that way. You see how bold the apostles are? right? How courageous they are? This abiding belief that Jesus is actually ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. So we better get out there and start doing the work that he's called us to do. So God is with us. God commands us. Joshua 1 is also instructive in this. I won't read it for sake of time, but um, God tells Joshua not to forsake the law, forsake what he's told us. This is how you grow in courage too. What has God actually said? Do I believe it? I'm going to do it. I'm going to live accordingly. God says that I'm supposed to put off my sin and I'm supposed to put on righteousness. Great. What does that look like for the things that I'm facing and how am I going to be courageous with us? God commands us. Obey the commands by faith. And God grows you in courage. Don't neglect that when God gives you opposition, things that you're frightened by, and this will be homework for you to find one thing every week, maybe every day if you want to like extra credit on this, right? When God gives you opposition, when he brings a threat your way, when he brings danger your way, say, oh, it's the test. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be weak anymore. I'm supposed to like receive it and get stronger in courage. And everybody's going to be different with the things that you face. Right? You could be concerned. Um, here I am, a prime example of middle age. Right? And I'm starting to realize, oh, the years in the rearview mirror are longer than the years that are ahead. Hmm, how's this going to end, Jeff? I don't know. And you get a little nervous about it. Like, oh, wait, it's not my life, like, in his hands? Does he care about all the hairs on my head? Yeah, should I worry about tomorrow? Like, no. Like, oh, there's a little fear that creeps in, you know, in middle age. And, and there's tiny things like that. And you have to go back and say, what has God commanded? What has God said? He is with me, and I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to tackle that. And then God makes you stronger. So when God gives you opposition, don't run, right? Don't just stand your ground. Take ground. That's novel, right? We Christians love to play defense rather than go on offense. You have permission now. Go on offense. That's what God wants for you. In opposition, go on offense, God's way. God gives others around you to encourage you, right? We just use, we throw that word around, encouragement, right? You need one another, you need to share things with one another. You don't want to overshare. You've got to have wise counselors, all the proper qualifications. But um, you're in this together, right? God gives you others to encourage you. Uh, Paul talks about this with the Thessalonians, right? Where you're supposed to encourage the faint-hearted. You're supposed to exhort the idle. Those who are just lazy, so don't be lazy, because then you get the exhortation. But those who are faint-hearted, because we all are, Faint-hearted with something, you need the encouragement of others oftentimes. And then if you feel like you're weak, if you feel that, continue on with what Paul says there. He says, and help the weak. Right? To, to know that you're faint-hearted or know that you're weak doesn't disqualify you from the Christian faith. Right? That's the prerequisite to getting the help that you need from somebody else oftentimes, or the encouragement that you need 
to actually face what it is that you're facing. Others are a very important part in this. Then God gives us a story. Remember the story that God's telling. Right? And this is how we tie it right back into Revelation 21. We'll end on this. Um, can you imagine the churches, the seven churches that are mentioned here in Revelation, um, and they're going to experience some pretty hard things <laughs> that are coming. And can you imagine if God hadn't told them ahead of time, like warned them and given them a hope and so forth? We, I mean, we don't know all the details of the way this played out in the churches and such, but God, God warns them and he's warning us. He's, he's, he's helping us to realize we are going to face real opposition in this life. Yeah. And again, depending how you read Revelation, you can apply that as is appropriate. But we know this just generally from the scriptures, that you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be delivered over to people, you're, um, people are going to make fun of you and you know all these things, thinking that God's wisdom is foolishness, and they love their own foolishness. Um, all those things are going to happen in this life. Remember the story. Right? God has placed you in this time for the glory of his son. And the tomb is empty. Right? And he's redeeming people. He's intent on saving people. Right? It's just like, I think I mentioned this last time I was here, we, we don't have enough courage to even pray in such a way that, um, that, that Jonah knows is true about God. So Jonah knows it's just like God to save a city or save a nation. And so Jonah says, I'm not having any of it. I'm going the other way. Nineveh can just burn, right? And God, of course, has his ways of getting Jonah to go to Nineveh. He's reluctant. He proclaims, you know, you know repent, and so, you know, God's going to destroy and, and all this. And, and he knows it's just like God saved them. And God makes the king, like, bow the knee, and people repent. And, and Jonah's kind of ticked off about it. We don't even have the faith of Jonah to sin like Jonah. Like, really. <laughs> Where are we courageous? Like, hey, God, it's just like you've not done this in the history of the world, per se, but it's just like you to transform St. Paul. Just because the gospel's more powerful than all the crazy things they're doing down there. Would you, like, save Governor Walls? <laughs> Would you pull the rug out from all the, the pro-abortion stuff by just saving all the Planned Parenthood directors? Because that does happen, right? Um, do we believe that? Are we courageous that way? Will we labor that way, expectantly? Oftentimes we don't because we're believing the world's story, which is a boring story. Don't believe the world's story. Believe the story that God's telling right here. Right? Conflict, hardship, challenges, and God will make you endure and persevere, and you'll be gracious and he'll grant you victory, right? And joy in the process of it all. You know that um, you're growing in courage when it, it starts to be actually a fun thing. And I use fun lightly. It's a joyful thing. You realize that God, the contending, the challenge of it, there's joy in the midst of it, right? And so that's what we're called to, believers, right? The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he'll be my son. That's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. They will not be named among you. Called to courage. We are called to be those who are conquerors. Live accordingly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you strengthen us this day. Strengthen us by your word and by your spirit uh, in these very hard times uh, and make us uh, joyful in you and more than conquerors, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Let's sing together 669, which is a hymn
receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, He sustains it, and He is reconciling it all to Himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.